Welcome back to Mouthpiece, I'm Savage Dan. And I'm Paulie, the magic man, Malinaji. As always, guys, you know the drill. Like, comment, subscribe, leave comments. Send us videos of you sparring, your gym setup, your training, everything. Me and Paulie want to judge it. Um, straight on to this weekend's fights, or, or let's just go for the main one. It was a massive fight between Charlo and Castano. Um, more controversial scoring, if you want to call it that, Paulie. What did you make of the fight as a whole? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I thought the fight was competitive. Um, I think, um, I think, uh, you know, Charlo being the hometown guy, he's got more of the world title belts. He was the guy who was, uh, being looked at, you know, you probably, it's, I'm not saying that's fair, but you probably have to beat him by a little bit more than just a, a, sh a short margin to get the decision. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's fair. I, I'm probably the only defending champion in his hometown that got robbed in his hometown, you know, but in the Brona fight but, but usually in this particular situation it's harder to get the decision when you go to the guy's house and especially in Texas I mean we know how uh, that's that's always been a bit tricky for guys to go to Texas against uh, Texan fighters uh, so I thought it was a good fight I thought both guys um, really fought well um, I thought uh, I thought Castano brought the fight more to Charlo but I, I didn't think Charlo yep. did a bad job with his jab and um, you know, just maintaining range in, in certain key spots of the fight. Um, I, I'd probably slightly edge to Castano, but a, a draw is not the end of the world. I've seen worse decisions, uh, especially considering Texas. And I, I, I think the only tragedy would be if they don't do the rematch. You know, if somehow there's a way that with this rematch doesn't get made, I think Castano is a, a real uh, budding kind of a star guy because he's. He's got all the ability. He's uh, he's appealing uh, in his fighting style as well. He's exciting. Mm -hmm. um, seems to be able to punch a little bit. And I also think that, you know, I think they've been keeping him down a little bit too much now. You know, I mean, I remember the draw with Lara. That was a couple, two, like, two three years yeah. ago. That was already his coming yeah. out party, you know. But it's like people just, they're not promoting him the way he should be. They're not putting him out there the way he should be. I mean, it, we already saw him in the Lara fight that he was a dangerous guy. And that was... I mean, I was still working at Showtime when that fight happened. So, you know, it's been a while, you know. So by this point, he should have been getting his shots and have been getting the recognition. We know he beat Tixera in the, for the WBO title, but really he's not been getting talked about in the manner that I feel like he should be. Um, and Jamel obviously is a, is a top-level fighter. I think this could be the start of a really good rivalry. Um, I, I believe they should make a rematch and if it's another good fight whoever gets a decision should give the loser a rematch regardless you know i think it's, it's yeah this could be the start of a really really cool rivalry that that really boxing fans will remember for a while um i, I think it was that kind of fight really really sharp uh, uh sharply well fought fight yeah it, it looked like a competitive fight all the way through it castano was putting on a lot of pressure just trying to remain on the front foot i feel like that's half the battle when you're fighting it, either one of the Charlo brothers, if yeah. they take center, it's yeah. difficult for you. If you let them dictate with the jab too much, they're going to get too comfortable and they're going to start putting you on the end yeah. of right hands as well. Uh, Castano, uh, for my liking, he'd probably, he could probably jab a little bit more. Uh, he tries to yeah. kind of flex his way in, push his way in. Yeah. But at the same time, he doesn't just follow you around the ring. There are guys who just put these earmuffs up and just follow you around the ring and never get to you against a jabber and a guy with good legs. But Castano is really adept at cutting off the ring. So while he wasn't jabbing as often as I would have liked to see him, he really was able to still close the gap with, those, with that cutting off of the ring. And, and then he'd whip in some hard shots when he was much closer, yeah. you know. And, and it, it, it created some good exchanges. Um, credit to Charlo. I mean, round two was a terrific catch and shoot where he, he caught the... 
he caught uh, Castano's right hand and just and just rocked back with his own left hook and, yes, and, 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 did, and yeah. caught Castano's attention. And it's funny, the irony is in round three, he tried the same thing. Um, when he got hit with the initial left hook from Castano, he was trying to come back with his own hook, but it was a little bit too wide because Castano threw a right-hand hook. And so he tried to catch and shoot on the right hand with his own hook, just like he'd done in the round before. But his left hook came just a little too wide. Just, just I mean, it wasn't wide. It was just a little wider than it needed to be. And Castano was able to follow up his own right hand with the hook that landed first. And it got Charlo's attention. But Charlo tried to catch and shoot again on Castano's follow-up. And he missed up, he, and he missed up again. He messed up again. Uh, uh, Castano g- got there again. Uh, first, and it almost ended up dropping Charlo. So, really, the scientific nuances of, of the exchanges and the fight was really, really interesting. Really, really high level stuff. Um, you know, uh, it, even from a psychological perspective, you know, both guys had to feel each other's power. Both guys had to, you know, have the wherewithal to stay in the fight and try to win it, try to keep winning it, try to stay competitive. Um, I, I again, the the tragedy would be not making this fight again. This was a really good fight. I, I enjoyed it. If you're Charlo, do, do you almost become a little bit of a victim of your own success going into that fight, seeing as you are the home fighter, uh, you are the favourite, uh, you're, you're, the, you're the most known fighter of the two, um, you're, in your home, you're, you're in your hometown. Do those kind of things maybe make the neutral look at a fight with more of a, I don't know, Castano goggles on? Because I find myself watching fights where I know there's an overwhelming favorite, and I look more for the success of the away fighter. Yeah, and you, than and, you I dub- do and you, for- and you, yeah, and you double it in your head. And I think that's, I think that's why a lot yeah. of people are saying this was a robbery, robbery, robbery. Listen, yeah. if I'm gonna hedge it to somebody, I'd probably slightly edge the Castano, but it's not as much of a robbery as you might think, yeah. um, in yeah. my eyes, you know. But I do think it is a deserving of a rematch type of fight, and I think Definitely. possibly the rematch could be deserving of a third fight. You know, I mean, I think that's yeah. that kind of, a, I think it's that kind of a style blend where. Both guys are really high level, and both guys can really uh, make it make for a, a fun little rivalry here. You know, um, Charlo yeah. is the is the star of the moment. Sure, him and his brother have uh, you know have uh, rightfully gotten their place uh, among the elite of boxing, and everybody kind of knows them. Um, mm-hmm. Funny thing about Argentinians, they always have to come and do this the hard way. You know, they always come and uh, kind of just show up to in people's hometowns or people's uh, home countries, and they just kind of have to know get themselves found out. In, in a difficult way, they never kind of just show up with all the fanfare and they are the A side right away. You know, they're always showing up. I can remember uh, Marcos Maidana going to uh, un- in Germany and find Andreas Kotelnik, and he lost a close decision, yeah. but it, it allowed him to, you know, kind of start getting some notoriety. And then mm-hmm. Golden Boy used him as an opponent for Victor Ortiz, and he knocked out Victor Ortiz. He wasn't supposed to win yeah. that fight, you know? So he kind of had a fight. To, what yeah, a fight. So he kind of had to push his way in in that manner. Really, even before our time, Carlos Monzon did this to Nino Benvenuti. Yeah. You know, I, I remember my yeah. family telling me about the Benvenuti Monzon fight, and they were saying how Monzon just showed up to Italy, and they were, and he was saying how he's going to knock this champion out. And the Italians were like, "Who is this weirdo?" You know, like, "Where is this? Where yeah. this guy come from?" You know, like, he's, he's, he's not going to touch Benvenuti. Benvenuti's like the star, the hero, and he came in and, and just walloped him. You know, and just walloped him. And I think he even beat him in the rematch. And they fought again. And he beat him again. So, so I, I the, it seems like Argentines don't really get the notoriety sometimes they deserve and they need they sort of they sort of show it's, up as it's a, a football it's a football crazy country so i feel like boxing yeah. is always going to play second fiddle yeah and so they don't get, Messi's around yeah and so they don't get the the following even sergio martinez i can remember lou de bella telling exactly. me he, he got sergio martinez yeah. for free because nobody wanted him yeah you know so yeah. he, and, he, and then he winds up getting the star out of the out of the equation you know so so um it's sort of a shame because argentina seems to produce some 
some good fighters, some some you know some in, in their spots. Even Carlos Baldomir upsets came over here and upset Zab Judah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. you know they they produce some good fighters, some sturdy fighters. They all seem to be very mentally strong. Really tough. You know, real yeah. tough. Like you're not gonna break them just for putting them in a tough fight. They actually seem to enjoy that and seem to want to tr- love the challenge of trying to break you, which uh, a lot yeah. of them do show up and do that. You know, so so yeah. it's uh, um, um, from one perspective, Charlo becomes a victim of his own success. From the other perspective, Castano becomes your what what is your stereotypical Argentinian fighter in that you know they they come out of their country and they've got to do it the hard way and and he's doing it and he's been doing it the hard way and he'll probably have to continue to do it the hard way, but um, I think real boxing fans appreciate this kind of fighter and and I hope yeah. that in appreciating boxing in general that, that boxing does the right thing and makes this rematch because this is the one to yeah. make. If there's any justice in the world, we will get that rematch and probably we'll get the third, seeing as. It's PBC and there's not a huge pool of fighters to fight anyway. So I'm pretty sure, fingers crossed, we get the rematch. Yeah, and, and it's also for the undisputed title. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In the news this week, we're going to forget about the news. It is almost time for the Olympics. We're going to be having a look at the UK and or we're going to be having a look at Team GB and Team USA, working out who's on the squad, who's got the best chance of meddling and who has the best chance of turning pro and being a success as well. Because as everyone should know by now, amateur boxing and, and professional boxing is uh, almost two different sports. Um, Paulie, as an amateur, what were the... It's, it's obviously the same sport, but it's very, very different in the way you approach a fight. I'm guessing in, in terms of training uh, and in terms of how you attack the fight. Obviously, amateurs is, is three threes. It's helpful ever, it's fast-paced, it's pretty much the fitter man wins all the time, the busier man wins. How does that change and, and what changes when you are turning over and, and going pro? I mean, in my day, um, yeah, it was very much about the busier guy. It was very much about, um, you know, just scoring as many points as you could in the amateurs, right? Um, you uh, Damage didn't get counted as much as it does in the pros. Um, not that boxing wasn't damaging in the amateurs. I mean, you take a good shot, you'd feel it even in the amateurs, you know? Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I'd say I'm not sure about the, the modern-day amateurs because they have no headgears, and um, yeah. it seems that they've changed the scoring system away from the computer once again, you know? So I'm not exactly sure if, um, as far as the huge, uh, as big of a gap between pro and amateur boxing, but there's still definitely a gap because you've still got to time yourself and pace yourself differently uh, with the amateur rounds to the, to the pro rounds and whatnot. So, uh, you know, you, you start to kind of have to make that evolution once you turn pro. Uh, for me, it was just sort of a natural evolution. You know, I was starting to spar more rounds, so therefore you'd start to naturally pace yourself differently. Um, you're starting to, you know, I was always sparring pros, even from the amateurs, I was sparring pros. But, yeah. you know, I always had a faster pace to me. Um, not as fast as some guys. I always had a good jab that could allow me to dictate and control my opponent. Um, but nonetheless, you realize that you real you always knew that the, the need for a, a, a good pace, you know. Yeah. But the computer forced you to pick your shots carefully, pick your shots right, you know, because they otherwise they wouldn't even get counted anyway. I remember, um, you know, amateur boxing is sort of a mystery, you know, because I remember people telling me, oh, you got to just be busy. You got to be busy. And then you're busy and you get no points anyway if the guy's just got his earmuffs yeah. on, you know, like with the computer. It was so the weirdest thing, you know. So you still had to make your shots count. Um, I, I always found success uh, controlling the other opponent with the jab because if the other opponent, sometimes a good jab will get a scoring blow. But also what the jab would do was prevent the other guy from setting up any offense himself for him to score points yeah. on you. Also, I found that sharp counter shots were really 
you know, they got the attention of the judges and they would, you know, mm -hmm. they would press the button because it was, you know, it was a clear, clear shot yeah. as opposed to when you initiate, when you initiated a lot of times you'd partially land and, you know, those judges are all 150 years old. They don't always see what they're pressing, yeah. you know? So, so, um, you know, I always found that good counter punching was, was scored very well. Um, <clears throat> but now, you know, you sort of got a, a pro, a pro boxing judging style a little bit in the amateurs. You have no headgears. Um, so damage, I think, still comes into play, but you still you got short rounds, you know, and it's hard yeah. to separate short rounds. It's hard to separate two world class fighters when they're fighting short rounds, you know, because now yeah. let's face it, you're at the Olympics. It's all world class fighters, you know, it's all world class yeah. boxers. So there's still some adjustments to be made uh, between the amateurs and the pros. I think, for me personally, it was the the, the evolution came naturally. I remember people telling me, "Oh, you know, you can't do this pity pat stuff. You gotta sit down on your yeah. shots, otherwise you're just not gonna hurt your opponent, and you're not gonna." And I remember thinking, "Well, you know, listen, it's boxing, and it's boxing. It's both boxing. Yes, it's 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 not a different sport, but it's different mentality in some way, right?" Yeah. I said, "If I just try to change too much, I'm gonna get myself beat." You know, I said, yeah. "Let me just do what I've been doing that's been successful." And, and I'll naturally adjust to what I see. And that's kind of how I made my adjustment into the pros. You know, I, I never was a big puncher in the pros either. So a lot of a lot of my mechanisms that won me fights in the amateurs, I took to the pros and just kind of, you know, matured them a little bit more, uh, you know, a different mindset with longer, longer fights and longer rounds and stuff. But yeah. but overall, I mean, your success in the amateurs can translate to the pros as long as you are, are not overthinking it. That's my. That's from yeah. what I gathered from my experience because a good boxer is a good boxer and this is still boxing. I'm not sure what it's like in the USA, Paulie, but here it definitely feels like uh, the fitter fighter, the one that's busiest, the one that, that kind of just throws more punches is the one that's more successful in the amateurs. Obviously that doesn't always translate um, over to, to the professional ranks, but what's the system like in America? Is there, a, is there a distinct difference between amateur gyms and amateur fighters and, and pro ones? Well, there's the thing. Uh, I, know in, I, I know in Italy, and I'm not sure how it, is, how it is in the UK, but in Italy, you know, you have gyms that are specifically just for amateurs. You know, in the US, yeah. you really don't have that as much. I mean, you might have some PALs that, you know, have some for kids that are teach boxing. But and, but a lot of the PALs, once those kids turn pro, they, those guys sometimes still keep training there. So yeah. you still got pros there, you know. Um you've mostly come up in gyms that have mixed amateurs and pros in the U.S., and that's why a lot of the American fighters kind of always have that American, uh, that pro boxing style, you know, even as amateurs. Um, when you make uh, a high level, as an, and when you reach a high level as an amateur, you'll go with the national team, and they'll sort of try to adjust you a little bit, but your core and your base style still remains what, that what it is, you know. Uh, so I think that's why a, a lot of the American amateurs end up, you know, making pretty good pros for the most part um, through the years. You know, even even though uh, a lot of times the U.S. Uh, Olympic team hasn't hasn't had the success it used to have, um, <clears throat> a lot of those guys end up becoming pretty good pros. It's just without yeah. the medals, you don't get the fanfare. You know, you think it's, yeah. a, it's just it's it's a weird phenomenon. You know, it's all media, it's all uh, it's all perception, it's all psychology, really. Because you, know, you look at somebody like Dmitry Andre who for me was a, a really really stellar amateur and and and, and yeah. in his prime of as a pro was a really stellar pro but never got the recognition but had he won a gold medal maybe he would have then again Andre Ward won a gold medal I, I don't I don't think he ever got the the recognition he deserved but um sometimes sometimes maybe it's because uh you know people want you to be controversial and Andre was kind of uh, always a straight up guy uh too real yeah. uh too 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 straight up for everybody, you know. Uh, and in this generation, unfortunately, controversies sell more than real people, you know. 
Um, so I, I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I, I think that, you know, American boxing has its style because of, of the mixture. You know, uh, we don't, yeah. we, at least when I was an amateur, you know, I remember when I was an amateur, you know, uh, I go to my tournaments and they say, oh, you got to throw as many punches as you can. But we had the computer scoring system and you'd throw as many punches as you can. But if the guy had the earmuffs on it, was had the earmuff defense, you wouldn't get any scoring blows, you know. So I always found that. For me, my style in the amateurs was successful when I had my jab going. Not because the jab was scored all the time, because it wasn't. But what the jab would do was a good jab would prevent the other opponent from my opponent from being able to set up scoring shots himself. It would just keep him on the on the on the back foot. It would keep him defensive. It would keep him from uh, being able to set up anything he wanted to. And I also noticed that clean counter shots were very effective in scoring because they're they're so easy easy for the naked eye to see. A lot of times when you were leading. A lot of times when you were leading, you know, you'd catch some partial glove or you'd catch some partial arm or you catch, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily get the points you deserved, um, especially with these judges being 150 years old each, you know, and then they weren't even able to see or press the button in time, you know. So the computer scoring system could be frustrating in a lot of ways. But um, I think now I, I, I can't judge it because I, they have gone away from the computer. They've got more of a pro boxing uh, judging system and they got no headgears. But you still have the shorter amount of rounds, and it's hard to separate world-class fighters in just a short amount of rounds. That's why in the pros, when world-class fighters fight, they're waiting until they're fighting 10 and 12 rounders. Because now you've got short fights in the Olympics. Uh, you're trying to separate these world-class fighters, and you've only got a few rounds to do it. So yeah. the onus still comes on being busy. Now you don't have the computer, so being busy might work to your favor um, even more so than before. Uh, but... You know, I, I can't say that there's a, a, a very specific way to win in the amateurs because they're always changing the system. They're changing the criteria constantly. It's always changing. And it's very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember actually watching, I think it was Errol Spence. I think he went out quite early in one of the Olympics, whichever Olympics yeah. it was. Yeah, I think he went out in the quarters um, as well in 2012. Yeah. yeah. I think actually he might have had a decision overturned in the first round or something, but I remember looking at him and remembering... His style, it might not work here, but I knew that that was, as soon as he turns pro, that was going to work. I just knew it was going and then, to, and then there are some amateurs where you look at their style and you just know this might not translate into the pros because they're yeah. not punching yeah. with any real conviction. It's just about scoring and getting out of there. Um, doesn't always work over 12 rounds. And and, and you do, and, and, and a lot of times it is like that. But some, and sometimes some of those guys, uh, they're able to make the adjustment, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I remember seeing Felix Diaz win the Olympic gold medal for the Dominican Republic. I don't remember. I think it was 2004, 2008. I'm not sure. But he won it at a light welter. And I remember thinking, in the, I, I, just, I just think this guy got a good draw. I don't think he was as good as he, as he should have been. Yeah. You know? like I, I, and he, and, but then I remember him in the pros. He developed pretty well. He developed pretty well, and he actually – I started to like his style as he developed more and more in the pros. He yeah. still didn't pan out, though. He didn't win a championship. Yeah. But I felt by, I felt like in the pros he actually adjusted his style and did well. He just came up short against – I think it was Lamont Peterson. But, um, you know, uh, I don't know the ins and outs of, of his career at this point, but, I mean, I remember as a pro I, I, I started to realize like, – at first, like I don't, I'm not crazy. And then, I'm not, even though this guy's a gold medalist, I don't, I'm not crazy about how far he might go. But then I actually started to be convinced. You know, I, I said yeah. I, I, thought, I saw the adjustments in his style, but in the end, it still didn't work out for him uh, like it should have at least. Right. Let's have a look at this GB men's squad. So it starts with Fraser Clark at super heavyweight. Uh, we've got Chevron Clark at heavyweight. Now I'm guessing that those two are brothers. I'm gonna guess. I don't actually know. Uh, the next two I'm about to name are brothers. That's Ben 
Oh no, that's uh, Pat McCormack at welterweight and Luke McCormack at lightweight. You've got Ben Whitaker there at light heavyweight. And then you've got Peter McGrell at featherweight and you've got Galau Yafai at flyweight. And if you recognize that name, it's because he's had two brothers that have both gone to the Olympics as well. Kao Yafai and Gamal Yafai. And this sounds similar to both of them as this Galau fighting, Yafai. They're fighting so, your fires. That's <laughs> they're it. They're your fighting fires. your fires. And they're all good and they're all slick. Um, now... I remember Fraser Clark from the amateurs years and years and years ago. And I feel like he's been an amateur for an absolute age, but I'm guessing he was just waiting for the smoke to clear from the likes of, of AJ and Joe Joyce. Um, it, it seems like Great Britain always seemed to champion one heavyweight at a time per Olympics. Um, but he's been mixing in good company for years. I'm talking 10 years now. Um, I thought he would have actually turned over beforehand, but it seems like he's waited for this um, and everyone's right behind him. He's a he's a big puncher and he's quite slick for a heavyweight as well, so he's got a good chance. Um, Pat and Luke McCormack, they're Sunderland fighters and up there they're always fit. Always, always fit. That's going to do do you some good in there as well. Um, but the the name that kind of comes off the, of the paper at you, probably because the, the brothers are pros now, uh, is Galau Yafai, who I'm guessing is going to be as slick as his brothers and go in there and try and and uh, and, and and meddle. Um, there's something special about watching these these fighters start their journey from the Olympics. Guys, do it if you're if you're trying to get into boxing. Watch these fighters from the Olympics and watch their entire journey and see how they progress. There's something about it, like like a. Uh, like Paulie just said, there was a fighter he didn't quite like, but then after a while you start rooting for them as they go up and, and go through the ranks. Um, the, G the GB women are Lauren Price, Caroline Dubois, who's obviously the sister of Daniel Dubois, um, Karis Artingstall, sorry if I butchered that, and Charlie Davidson at flyweight as well. Um, and if I'm totally honest, for such a small country or such a small island, we send to we, we seem to send out very good boxers every year to the every four years to the Olympics. It, we we seem to do better than we should if you're looking at a world map. Um, boxing has become one of the sports that we meddle in the most. Um, and even if you don't recognize some of the names on this paper and you've never heard of them before, you can bet your bottom dollar that they are good. Um, Paulie, do you know who's in this USA squad? Anyone? I'm not. I'm not um, totally familiar with USA squad at this point. I wasn't. Cool. I haven't followed the amateurs in a while. We'll go through um, the names and just from the I've names, heard, the, the kid, it looks Keyshawn, like there's I good fighters. Keyshawn Davis. He's a. He's a. Yep. He's a kid that I've. I've heard his name of thrown around a little bit. Um, he's in there. He's, he's in there at lightweight. Yeah. Um, you've yeah, got Richard um, Torres Jr., uh, super heavyweight. Uh, Delante Johnson at welterweight and Troy Isley at middle. Do Do you think a lot of fighters are just getting the experience that they, they can get in the gym and just turn them pro before. I do, I do. Once they took out the headgear, I do notice yeah. a lot of fighters in the United States uh, turning pro younger. I, 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 it, was, uh, it was something that I didn't notice as much um, when I was turning pro, you know, the, the yeah. age gap would be like 19, 20, 21, 22 yeah. um, to turn pro. But now I'm seeing a lot of 17, 18 year olds turning pro and I think it's because yeah. 
there's no headgears in the amateurs. They said, I guess they figured they might as well turn pro. It's funny because this was probably a thing in the 70s and eight, early 80s. I, I, I can remember the ages of, not I can remember because I wasn't around, but I know the ages of a lot of fighters that turned pro in those times yeah. were also very young, you know. Um, and I guess it comes down to the headgears being removed in the amateurs. Because once you put the yeah. headgears into the amateurs, guys were waiting a few extra years to turn pro. And now that yeah. the headgears have been removed, the American culture is suddenly now becoming once again to just turn pro instead of waiting for Olympic Games and whatnot. So yeah, uh, I, 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 I can if I had to guess and make an educated guess on this, if I had to hypothesize, I'd probably give a lot of yeah, uh, give a lot to that uh, credence. And also, unless you've been living under a rock for the last however many years, America is God knows how many times bigger than the UK. So winning a Golden Gloves or a national championship over there is obviously going to be considerably harder than winning an ABAs over here. Um, so I'm guessing just that level of workload is just making fighters want to turn pro as soon as they can. On the USA women's team, you've got O'Shea Jones, Rashida Ellis, Naomi Graham, and Virginia Fuchs. Um, again, not that many people are going to know those names, but you can bet your bottom dollar that if USA are only sending four men and four women, they're sending a real four, wen four men yeah. and four women. <laughs> yeah. Like, they are coming yeah. to do something. In terms of the Olympics as a, as a whole, I feel like it... I feel we, we spoke about it with regards to James DeGale, but it's, it might be the holy grail of boxing in terms of uh as a as far as dreams go you can win we, we see how many weights there are and, and how many belts there are in each weight division and super titles here and titles over there and regular titles and blah 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 there is only one olympic gold medal it means a lot and only one person can win it every four years um when you're looking at some of the greatest fighters to win the olympics are there any names that come immediately to head to, to your mind, sorry? Sure. Sugar Ray Leonard and Muhammad Ali come to mind right away. Yep. Uh, Andre yep. Ward comes to mind right away. Oscar De La Hoya, you know. Yep. Uh, even the robbery, Roy Jones, that he should have had a gold medal, you know. Uh, yeah. It's, same, with, uh, same with Floyd. Floyd Mayweather yeah, as well. Same Floyd. Floyd Mayweather um, as well, yeah. So, you know, he, the, the gold medalists come to mind. But when you start thinking about gold medalists, you start thinking about the pile of tricks that took away gold medals from guys that probably deserved the gold exactly. medals as well, you know. Yeah. Um, um, and of course, George you know, Foreman, maybe George jo Foreman, Joe Frazier yes, jo as well. Joe Frazier, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, big, big deal, big deal, guys. And of course, you know, James DeGales, who's a friend of mine as well. Uh, you know, I, I got to mention this because you mentioned James uh, just now. Um, I, I want to let everybody know out there if, if there's any help that can be done because James got his gold medal robbed. Um, his family was watching uh, the European uh, Cup final. England and Italy uh, at, a, at another at a venue or at a place and nobody was home at the house and his house was ransacked his parents house was ransacked and, and robbed and they took the safe and uh, with, with a lot of valuables and his Olympic gold medal was in there you know? was that this was this Euro yeah. finals this Euro final yeah um, last week yeah so um, you know I was speaking to James um, and he let me know all this so you know uh, if anybody has any I mean, I, I know it's a long shot, but it's just such a te terrible thing to get taken yeah. from you, you know? Um, if anybody has any information at all, I mean, about the whereabouts of this gold medal, 
I mean, yeah. really, uh, you know, get get to authorities and and and, and get it back to him, man. It's, it's that thing yeah. is not valuable to anybody else except James. It, it's, yeah, exactly. If, if he didn't win, if he didn't win the gold medal, it shouldn't be of any. It has no meaning to you, you know. Yeah. Um, and and to the person that won the gold medal, it it means more than any money can buy, yeah. you know. So so you know, they should really, really. I I I would hope that you know the people that if, if people that have took it, if they if there's any if, if they have any sort of semblance of 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 uh, of, uh, of conscience, Money. you know, that is yeah. not the thing to take. You know, I, I understand, uh, you know, people rob things and people sell things, but the, the gold medal is not of value to anybody else yeah. except the person that won it. So if anybody has any information, please, uh, you know, do, do your due diligence uh, about, about the whereabouts of James' gold medal. Definitely. So I, I had um, to put that out there, sir. You have to, you have to, you have to. Yeah, uh, I, yeah that's shocking, man. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, one of the biggest shocks that you will hear now but might not have been a shock at the time is that Sean Porter in the Olympics beat Alexander Usyk. I'm sure that happened, right? That who, did happen. Which, which one? Well, who, who, was it who? Sean Porter beat Usyk? No, no, not, not Sean Porter. Uh, it was, I'll tell you who beat Usyk. It was an Italian, though. Clemente Russo. Hold <laughs> on. Usyk. Let me have a po- Porter, Porter, was, Porter wasn't an Olympian. Porter didn't make the oh, Olympics. Oh, was it? Hold but on. Porter was a top amateur in the USA. Um... I, I know Clemente Russo beat... No, oh, wait. He, it wasn't the Olympics. I think it was the Worlds. It was one of these. But okay. Usyk lost to Sean Porter. Imagine wow. that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how crazy that is? Yeah. In 2006, they both fought at 165. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and Porter was at 165 for a long time. So I, I, can, yeah. uh, I, can, I can believe that, you know. Um, I remember Usyk in the 08 Olympics losing to Clemente Russo, who's an Italian, right, in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And I remember Clemente had lost to, Clemente was just one of those Italians who never turned pro. And I yeah. remember in 04, Clemente had lost to Andre Ward. Then he moved up to the heavyweight division. And he in 08, he gets to the finals. But on his way to the finals, he beat both Alexander Usyk and Deontay Wilder. He beat Usyk in the quarters <laughs> and Deontay in the semis. And then he lost in the finals, right? So if 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 Rus- think about it like this, what we have always had our have our what ifs about the Olympics. If 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 Usyk had beaten Russo, we would have had Usyk against Wilder in the Olympic semifinals in two thousand eight. But Russo ended up beating Usyk first in the quarters, and then he ended up beating uh, Wilder in the semis, and then he got to the finals and he lost. Ironically for Russo, he goes back to the Olympics in twenty twelve because he never turned pro, yeah. and he reaches the finals of the twenty twelve Olympics against who? Alexander Usyk. But this time Usyk beats him, so Russo has two silver medals. <laughs> And Usyk gets the gold medal, and Usyk is a guy who had lost him four years ago, but forced Russo to settle again for second best in the 2012 Olympics. Uh, who, the fun little... who is who's that? There is an Italian legend. I forgot his name. Uh, I'm sure he was a heavyweight. I have a feeling AJ might have fought Su- him as well. Super heavy, yeah. Roberto Camarelli, yeah. Roberto Camarelli. What a fighter! Uh, yeah, I remember yeah, watching. He was thinking, uh, "Oh my gosh, he, what a fighter!" He, he he won the 08 Olympics and he lost the 2012 finals to to yeah. AJ, yeah. but. Uh, he he. There was always talk about him turning pro. Uh, Italy, in in some ways, runs a little bit of communist style in that you you're yes. on the police boxing team and you have a salary yeah. for life if you don't turn pro. So you have a yes. so and and you won't have to work in the streets. You won't have to go arrest people. They'll just give you an office job in the police station for life okay. you know, until you retire. You know, so so a lot of guys they'd rather not risk their position by turning yeah. pro. And then you know, in the pros, it's a crapshoot. Sometimes you know, it's you may make millions or you may make nothing, but then you don't have any yeah. work, job to turn back to. So a lot of guys don't turn pro. But with Clemente Russo, he was getting offered millions to turn pro, 
And I heard that he ended up having like a, a back, some back problems, some back issues, and it was just like, you know what, I'm not gonna risk it turning pro with these back issues, yeah. and and you know maybe it doesn't work out for me. So he stayed in the amateurs um, for a little while longer, and now he's just retired, and he's got the office job at the police station. <laughs> so there you he, go. <laughs> he's good. He's got a stipend. He's got a stipend for life. <laughs> Roberto Camarelli. Let's get on to the prediction for this week. We have Joe Joyce against Carlos Takam. Um, I'm not sure if you've been seeing what's happening in, in the boxing news this week, but apparently Babich and Joe Joyce had one spa that was apparently like the whole gym was just gobsmacked watching it. Apparently it was the craziest spa that anyone's ever seen. And and, and did anybody record it? So now, I'm guessing it's been, I haven't got the recording. Every, but everybody, I'm guessing. Rec everybody records everything nowadays. It's funny. Yeah. This was like this was like normal. This was like a normal Tuesday in Gleason's gym when I was a kid. You know, the two world champions would be sparring and they'd be killing each other. And you'd have sparring sessions that discussed weekly, daily in that gym. Yeah. Now it's like now it happens and it's like oh my god because people recorded yeah. it. So now people are talking about it. This was like a normal. This was like oh yeah, that's a Thursday afternoon in Gleason's gym. But <laughs> back yeah. in the day, but now it's like it's crazy. Like I, I, things come out, things things are leak, things are you know well, you have they, they more were technology both happy to talk about it. I uh, Babich did an interview where he was just basically saying, listen, that was a, a warrior spa, like a crazy spa. Joe Joyce is heavy-handed. He's one of the toughest people I've ever sparred. Um, and basically he's saying he is more than ready for Takam. Now, Takam's obviously not any joke. He's somebody who's going to bring it. He's going to bring the fire. He is small for a heavyweight, and Joe Joyce is quite a big lad for a heavyweight. Um do you see any potential banana skin? Any upsets? Do you see anything? I, mean, I can only see you know, a Joe Joyce. You know, victory. obviously, I'm I'm picking Joe Joyce to win, but I, I'm curious to see the manner in which he wins because Takam has has always been a guy a little bit tricky and can and can be a little bit tricky to look good against. Um, yeah. you know, he he made eight. I think he won twelve with AJ, didn't he? Or he went or he went into the late rounds with AJ at least. 11, you know, uh, I think it was. Oh, yeah. it might have been twelve. Yeah, fish. yeah, and 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 I don't even know if the stoppage was that crazy of a stoppage when he fought AJ you know so yeah. so so you know Takama is, can be a little bit of a banana skin in that in the way of uh, of of that he's tricky he's he's uh he can make you look bad um he, he's durable in there so he's a good guy to get, keep gaining experience from especially that he also he's also a guy who you know who's a contender you know he's a top 10 yeah. top 15 guy you know so so he's respectable as well um so I'm curious. I, I, you know, it's hard to pick against Joyce in the fight, but I'm curious to see how he handles it because in comparison to how everybody else handled it, you know. Uh, so that's that's more so what I'm looking for. The one thing that Joe Joyce does have that I think is underrated is a jab. Now it, it's not heavy jab. The the most beautiful jab to look at, but it's mm -hmm. it's effective and it's constant. It's, a, it's, like it's a, a semi-automatic. It's, like, it's, it's crazy. Like a, it's like a yeah. It's like a ramrod, man. It's yeah, like it's a, bam, a, a tree bam, trunk bam. just bashing yeah. you. You know. And it, it doesn't ever seem to stop either. So if, if anything is going to uh, offset the attack of, of Takam, it's going to be something like that. Although he does like to creep in underneath the jab. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be a clash of stars. But I'm going for... I'm going to be brave. And seeing as I almost got it with that last prediction, with the split decision, with the majority decision I gave to, to uh, Charlo, I'm going to go with a stoppage. I think Joe Joyce is going to get to him eventually. I feel yeah. like I, he's I, gonna, I'd say it, it will take a while, but I think he gets to him. 
Yeah, I, I'd say about eighth round stoppage or so yeah. for Joe Joyce. I'm curious to see again how he handles that little that little uh, crabbing style of of of, of uh, to come when he ducks in. I remember Lloyd Lennox Lewis used to deal with these guys. He used to just push their heads down and hit them with uppercuts. That's it. That's <laughs> so it. That's it. Push their. So I want, but not everybody always realizes that with a shorter guy, you can just push his head down and keep keep your head keep him low. That way he can't come up. You know, it protects you from getting hit with the hook, and it also sometimes you can sneak in a sneak uppercut in there as well. Yeah, the one thing he's just going to have to watch out for is that kind of tricky overhand right. It should, I'm, I'm guessing he's trained for it all camp. Um, but that's the only real way I can see Takam causing any upsets in this fight is by kind of sneaking around a corner and getting a right hand way over the top. Without that, I can't, I just can't see it. But boxing's stranger stories than this have happened. That's why they fight the fights. Cool. I think that is it for us this week. As always, remember to like, comment, subscribe, send us videos, all of that. Uh, keep up to date with the boxing news. Watch the Olympics, do all of that, and we will see you next week.